Everyone struggles with some of these sins. So how can anyone be forgiven and enter the kingdom of God? For example, if someone says they have same-sex attraction, does this passage say that you're homosexual? And that's the end of it. There's one thing to commit a sin. Many of us may commit these sins. But it's another thing to practice these sins, to live in it and make it a lifestyle. And that was what was happening in Corinth. Thank God, there is hope for every person listening to my voice. Whether you be homosexual, lesbian, it doesn't matter who you are, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So this tells us that a person can change. Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast. It's a place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us, and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back again to another episode of Patterns of Truth Podcast. I'm Peter Cadiz, your host for today. And today's episode is part of a series that we have been working on called Being a Witness, a much-needed topic for all of us. Today, we want to tackle the difficult topic of how to witness to someone who identifies themselves as LGBTQ and how to witness to someone who have been sexually abused. This episode is an encouragement by a friend of the podcast, Brother Emmanuel John, also known as Brother Viv John. He has been serving the Lord as a Christian psychologist for many years, and we thought he has great insight about this topic. Uh, We asked Brother Viv four questions based on a question that was submitted to the website. So the questions were uh, how to witness to someone who identify as LGBTQ, especially with the fundamental difference between foundational beliefs. The next question, the Bible clearly indicates that homosexuality is a sin and dishonors God, but there's also a human aspect. These specific individuals clearly have physical attraction to the same sex. How do you reconcile between both? The next question, similar, in our Christian circles, we might have people who experience the same sex attraction. How do you handle this in a loving but God-honoring way? And the last question, what do you answer to someone who says, where is God when I was being sexually abused? We pray that uh, you enjoy this message and it will be an encouragement for you. Brother Viv, it's easy to get lost talking about these issues as physical actions and choices versus identities and rights. Before we go there, what is at stake when it comes to witnessing to someone whose belief on sexuality and identity are fundamentally different? To get this out in a spiritual realm, the best soul winner and the greatest witness is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our model. He is our example. So in John chapter 4, we are reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ 
his perspective of people was that they were not a problem. He didn't see someone as a problem, but as a person, a person to be loved and a person to recognize the needs and a person to be changed. And so in John chapter 4, the Lord Jesus went to Samaria just for one woman. And as he met this woman, she said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews do not have any deal with this group of people. But the Lord Jesus broke that barrier and he met with all. And many people are saying that Christians don't have any dealings with homosexuals and vice versa. But the first thing is to have Christ's perspective. The second thing is to make contact. So the Lord just made contact with her. He asked her for a drink of water, and she was there in her need. He recognized that she did not know the gift of God, because in John 4.10 he says, If thou knewest the gift of God, you would have asked of him, and he would give you living water. She was drinking at a well that could never satisfy. And that's where all of us, including LGBT, we are drinking at a fountain that will never satisfy the soul. It may gratify the flesh, but it will never satisfy the soul. And then the Lord Jesus, he recognized that this woman had an addiction to sexuality, an addiction to relationships. So he was able to point out to her when he asked her, don't call your husband. And she said, I don't have any. And the Lord said, okay, you said the truth because you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. So you've had six in relationship and yet none could have met her need. Thank God that Jesus was the seventh man who was able to satisfy your need. It's really good to see how the Lord was not harsh or condemning. Although he did tell the truth very plainly. But what kind of a person was this woman? Was her lifestyle due to just not having any morals or ethical beliefs? No, the Lord recognized that she had religion. She said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But the Lord just said, well, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can only have worship in spirit and truth when you're born again to have the Holy Spirit and then to know the truth, Jesus Christ. So what should we understand from this example of the Lord and this woman? How do we reach out to people who are coming from very different lifestyles and circumstances? So here is the part of witnessing. Number one, to have the view of Christ, Christ's perspective. Number two, contact with the person. Number three, consciousness of the need of that person. And number four, confidence that the Lord can change any person. No one is too hard for the Lord to change. No problem is too big for him to solve, and no person is too far for him to bring home. So the Lord Jesus came, and this woman here then had a thirst for what the Lord was offering. He said, so give me this water that I thirst not, nor come back to this old well to drink. And so before the Lord Jesus would change his life in John 4, 4, he said, he must needs go through Samaria. And so the Lord Jesus, in order to change us, he must needs go to Calvary. And there at the cross, he died for us because he loved us as sinners. And he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. 
and now he was buried, he rose again, and he lives forevermore. So in this setting, I'm not here to make homosexual, bisexual, or to make them as heterosexual. My goal is to introduce you to Jesus Christ, the one who can change from inside out. Thank you, Brother Viv, for bringing this emphasis. Parents of Truth has the same goal, and we don't want anyone listening to this podcast or reading our articles on the website to feel that we are condemning. We, we want everyone to know both the love of God and the truth of God's word. With that in mind, what should we do with this cultural moment where everybody seems to be obsessed with identity? People have all kinds of identities, racial and ethnic identities, cultural identities, political identities, and they have gender and sexual identities. Uh, what does this mean? How can Christians evaluate these concepts while being a witness to Christ? People are looking for identity. Many are asking, who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing? What is my life? And the question is, is sexuality as part of identity? When we use gender identity, we are referring to one's internal sense of being, male or female. According to the Bible, God created us to reflect his image, male and female. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Sexual identity is an indelible part of what God created us to be. Therefore, sexuality is to be enjoyed in the marital relationship between the husband and the wife, and the husband there is a man, and the wife is a woman. Now, according to secularism, that is being too narrow-minded. Christians are too narrow-minded to believe in ultimate truth. And they would say gender no longer means only male and female. It takes into account identity and expression. You just have to keep your focus on what you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch, what you can taste in simple terms. For these dear ones, if it feels good, then do it. But for the Christian, it is if it is right, then do it. So what about specific examples from the Bible? What kind of examples or maybe cautions do we read about? How can we understand the danger of following our feelings about gender and identity? Examples from the Bible, there is a difference in the Bible basis. True liberty and true identity is found in faith in God through Jesus Christ. It is found in knowing whom we believe and what we believe, and we believe the truth as revealed in the Bible. On the other hand, gender identity is based on the feelings, cultural, social, seemingly self-gratification, lustful affection, lustful attraction, and lustful ambition. That's found in 1 John 2.16. Paul tells us of sexuality in marriage between husband and wife. That's 1 Corinthians 7. We've seen in 1 Corinthians 6 that temptation to sexual immorality, whether it be 
heterosexual, homosexual, whoever we might be, we are told to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man or woman does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, the catalog of sins, the major types of moral sins that characterize the unsaved. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual sphere of salvation where God rules as king over all who belong to him by faith. Do you not know, says Paul, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulteries, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he's given us a catalog of sins, and it's not just homosexual, it's all of us together. We're all of us sinners, and only by the grace of God we're saved. All right, so some people may think this passage doesn't make sense. Everyone struggles with some of these sins. So how can anyone be forgiven and enter the kingdom of God? For example, if someone says they have same-sex attraction, does this passage say that you're homosexual and that's the end of it? There's one thing to commit a sin. Many of us may commit these sins. But it's another thing to practice these sins, to live in it and make it a lifestyle. And that was what was happening in Corinth. Thank God there is hope for Every person listening to my voice, whether you be homosexual, lesbian, doesn't matter who you are, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So this tells us that a person can change. I don't want to give any identification, but I was at a camp. And there was a young man that came and, and he was to be a counselor. And then they discovered that he had an attraction for men. And so they asked me to meet with him. And he was a loving young man. I talked with him and he was struggling very much. I wept with him. I hugged him. And I told him that there was hope for him, that he can be changed. But he couldn't change himself. And no one could change him but Jesus was able to change him. And I explained other things, but one year later, he came back to the same camp and he came and he hugged me and he said, God has delivered me. I am no longer what I used to be by the grace of God. And he said, I have a girlfriend, she's Christian, and we are going to the church here. So I know God can change us. What about uh, people who think change isn't even necessary? It seems like many Christians today don't see a need for preaching about change. Just show love towards people with different points of view. What do you think about this? Now, there is a moral aspect of the homosexual life. The Bible clearly indicates that it is a sin and it dishonors God's design. But there's also the human aspect. So the moral aspect of homosexual lifestyle is immoral and against God's design for marriage as one man for one woman joined together by God, according to the Bible, 
In Leviticus 18 and 22, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So we know that's the, the moral value aspect. And the human aspect is that same-sex marriage is based on human rights and political might. The attraction of man to man or woman to woman is that it is propelled by the urge of mere pleasure, fun, and the belief in doing his or her body anything, doing with it anything he or she wants to do because it is his or her inalienable right. It is seemingly not unusual in our times for some same-sex to be attracted to each other because of the right to enjoy pleasure of sin. But that way, ladies and gentlemen, we have to make a choice. While we may say that it is my decision, it is my body, it is my pleasure that I want, I want you to know the choice that you make will lead to consequences. This is why Moses in Hebrews 11, 25, he had a choice to make. And he said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. And I want you to know Satan will always tempt all of us. No one is exempted. But I am glad to report that we do not have to yield to Satan's temptation. And we do not have to yield to the urge of sexual attraction to each other. Let's talk right now, Brother Viv, about the last question from our mailbox. How do we understand and respond to sexual abuse? Uh, for example, I hear that sexual trauma sometimes leads to future struggles with mental health and sexuality. And there's a second struggle for the people who suffer from these, uh, from, from sexual abuse. They would say, where is God when these things happen to people? Uh, what's your thoughts? Where was God when someone was sexually abused? As we've heard, so many people are being sexualized. So many people are going to sexual trauma. So many people are being exploited. And when someone is sexually abused, it means that someone has taken control, not only of the body, but over the mind and over the will. This is why overcoming sexual abuse takes much because it affects the entire person. Sometimes you sense the loss and we go through the time we, and we say, I can't believe this has happened to me. They're still in a sense of denial every now and then. Then they go to the other stage and get very angry at themselves, angry at God, angry at the family, angry at the friends. Why did this happen to me? Let me just say that if Job were to be speaking to us today, there Satan came in, unknown to him, and he lost his fortune, he lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost his fitness, he was sick, and yet he came to realize. He said, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. And so we don't fully understand I cannot fully explain how that a loving God, all-powerful, will allow this to happen. 
But I do know that he is still God and that he still loves you and he loves the person who was sexually abused and that there is hope. It can be overcome by the grace of God. So what type of healing or someone who has been abused, sexually abused, how can we go about it? First, we must understand that a person who has been sexually abused can have paralyzing feelings of shame, anger, hurt, betrayal, fear, guilt, etc. Therefore, from a spiritual perspective, one who is reaching out to her must be compassionate, comforting, caring, and Christ-like in his or her conduct to help the abused person. One must offer this person hope, help, and healing, freedom in Christ. Remember, the, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set captives free, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's definitely a wonderful assurance to have. Now, since the Lord works directly in the heart of people, but also uses people like counselors to provide help, what is the balance between turning to the Lord for help and asking people for help? Jesus understands our brokenness when no one can. And he's there for us not to condemn us. He's there to lift us up. And if you're his own, I want you to know that he can give you beauty for ashes. And he can turn the mess into a message and put you on a mission to tell others Jesus makes the difference. So we want to really encourage ourselves in reaching out because many are hurting. Many do not know where to turn, what to do. You can, being led by the Spirit of God, reach out in many ways. The physical always encourage someone who has been abused to get a complete medical checkup ever so often. Make sure that the body is in good condition and to encourage her to do that which is healthy and be there for her. But you need physically a complete medical evaluation. For the mental, work with her on the pain of holding on and the fear of letting go. Many of them hold on to the painful memories and they're afraid to let go. How could I justify my feelings when I'm getting depressed and angry and upset? So they're afraid to let go. But we must give them the opportunity to really know that they can still remember, but they don't have to dwell on the disturbing and destructive thoughts. From your professional experience, what is the path forward? So there is a way we used to do in psychotherapy. As a psychotherapist, we do cognitive behavioral therapy. And what this simply means is to work on the thought process. Because as you know, the Bible says, as a person thinketh in his heart, so is he or she. And thoughts are powerful. And you can't stop thoughts from coming into your mind. You may not even be thinking about it. And the thoughts will just flow. 
through your mind like a stream. What we want to do is to restructure the thoughts. And instead of focusing upon that which is destructive, we focus upon the thought that is pure and clean and holy. But I want you to keep this in mind. If you meet anyone, you let them know what you think will determine how you feel. And how you feel will influence how you behave. So if we can work on changing the thoughts, and before you do that, you want to release all these things to the Lord. First of all, you want to recognize how great your God is. Your God is bigger than yourself and is bigger than your situation. And then number two, not only recognize how big God is, but in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, you remember he said, be anxious for nothing. Don't get overly worked up. Don't panic. But he said, release everything to the Lord in everything by prayer and supplication. Number three is to receive his peace. And the peace of God shall garrison your heart through Christ Jesus. Now, the restructuring of the thoughts, it is Philippians 4 and verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So think on these things, he says. So you change the way of thinking, and uh, you begin to realize that it's a journey. What can the path look like? If you understand waves of emotion, sometimes it goes up and down. Sometimes you feel great. Sometimes you feel everything is okay, and then it goes down. You feel depressed. You feel discouraged. You feel ashamed. You feel fearful for others knowing what happened. But then it comes up again until you come to a point in your life where you said, I'm going to give it all to Jesus. He can turn your sorrow into joy. And what it means, three things. One, if you are struggling with sexuality or you're struggling with abuse, that's the world that would pressure you. James said, don't have friendship with the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. But then friendship leads to loving. And then he says in 1 John 2, verse, I think it's 15 and 16, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what it is saying, what this world offers you is lustful affection. And then it goes to lustful attraction. And what it says here, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So this is why Satan works to the world to make us friendship with the world where we are identifying with the world and being like the world. And then we've got to love the world. We love the worldly things. So the attraction, the lustful affection 
of men and men, women and women. This is not of God. And then the lustful ambition, full of pride. I can do it my way. Not of God. But then not only that, not only must we not be friendship with the world, at least to love in the world, we must not be conformed to the world. Because when you're conformed to the world, you do it and you don't feel guilty. I'm reminded, Brother Viv, of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, where it described the conscious that is seared. So routine sinful choices will dull our ability to know right and wrong. But let's suppose one of our listeners is asking, I have these feelings and I don't want to sin. Maybe counseling is a good option for me. But what can I do right now to avoid sinful choices? What do we do? What shall we do when we have these feelings? They are real. They pressure you. Well, one, we give our body to the Lord. Number two, we give our mind to the Lord. And number three, we give our will to the Lord. So Paul was writing to the Romans, and remember he said in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so there is hope for everyone. As Christians, we don't want people to feel that they are worthless or we are better than they are. It's only by the grace of God we are what we are. And we need to see them not as a problem, but as a person. We want to see them not as a something, but as someone to be loved and to be told the truth that Jesus Christ can make the difference. And I trust that all those who are listening to my voice, whether you're struggling with homosexuality, lesbianism, queer, whatever it might be, I want you to know there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. And we are not here to straighten you out. We're here to point you to the one, the Lord Jesus, who loves you. And he hates the sin because the sins destroy your life. And he loves you so much that he took your sins and mine, and he made them his own. He who knew no sin became sin for us, our sin bearer, and he died on the cross for us. He died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and he rose again and is alive forevermore. So the man of Calvary is a man of victory, and he's the man in the glory, and he is for you. Is higher than what you're facing today, and his arms are outstretched to receive you. If you will come, repent of your sins, just as you are, you turn to him from your sins. You can't give up this sexuality. You know, he says in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, they turn to God from their idols, not turn from their idols to God. You come in all your need, all your messed up feelings, just as you are to Jesus Christ. And as you turn to him from your sin, you will find forgiveness. You will find freedom. You will find joy. And you'll have a purpose in living, a hope in dying, and a bright prospect for the future. May God bless you and may you know that there is hope in Jesus Christ today for all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Vibdan.
And to our listeners out there, we hope that this discussion made you think, gave you some answers and maybe piqued your interest so you can dig deeper into this topic. What's the point? To grow closer to the Lord and to know God and make him known. And also, we don't want to end this episode without inviting you. If you have any topics or questions you would like to discuss on the podcast, please head over to the patternsoftruth.org, top left button, ask a question. Also, you can leave a comment at the bottom of the podcast. We do read your comments and your question, and we love them. Last and not least, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org, where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.